This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Love Field. Dallas, Texas, November 22nd, 1963. Blood was everywhere. The dark red liquid stained his waking thoughts and haunted him when he closed his eyes. It decorated the leather interior of the limousine that sped towards Parkland Memorial. It was on the gurney that carried his shattered friend. And it was splattered over the pink dress of the dazed woman who stood beside him. It was a baptism by blood. Like the state he loved, Lyndon Baines Johnson was a large and imposing man. His head, his ears, his hands, even his voice, they all seemed to overwhelm those around him. Traits that helped him make deals with timid, cowering colleagues. But now, in the two hours since he first heard those loud pops, the new president of the United States tried his very best to be small. At 2.28 p.m., aboard a hot and crowded compartment on Air Force One, Johnson raised his massive right hand and placed the other on a Bible and swore to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. John F. Kennedy's casket laid next to him, the lifeless body, having been rushed to the plane in a hearse within minutes of the president being declared dead. Amid tears, trauma, and blood, so much blood, the Kennedy era, what would soon be christened Camelot, had come to a violent end. Unlike others in the administration, it was fair to say that LBJ's love for his fallen leader was not total. It was hard for a man of destiny and greatness, as Johnson had long seen himself, to surrender his powerful Senate seat in order to play second fiddle to a young man from Harvard who'd probably never worked one hard day in his life. As vice president, LBJ was largely powerless, mostly marginalized, but he knew the Kennedy boys made fun of him. Jackie, who now stood humbly at his side, privately referred to him and his wife, Lady Bird, as Uncle Cornpone and his little pork chop. Her deceased husband hadn't been much kinder, once asking her rhetorically, Oh God, could you ever imagine what would happen to the country if Lyndon were president? But there was no doubt, Lyndon needed them now, all of them. He needed Jackie, the family, the cabinet, even his nemesis, Bobby Kennedy. If he had any hope of leading the nation that didn't know him and leading the party that had chosen someone else just three years earlier, he needed them now. LBJ paced restlessly about the aircraft, avoiding eye contact with the grieving widow. He bit his oversized lower lip as he pondered the task before him. How could he claim the Kennedy mantle when, truth be told... He thought the Kennedy agenda was far too cautious and timid. He took his seat as the hulking aircraft taxied to the runway. 
Its four engines soon roared to life, and the plane shot forward and then up, as if on a trajectory of a rocket. He closed his eyes and relished the blackness. When he finally opened them a few minutes later, he peered out the window at the endless miles of fluffy clouds beneath him. Thirty minutes into the flight, LBJ spoke with JFK's mother, Rose Kennedy, from Air Force One. I wish to God there was something that I could do, and I wanted to tell you that we were greeting with you. Yes, thank you, thank you very much. After the call, right there, at the top of the world, he decided that the Kennedy presidency would need to be remodeled. Fortunately, he wouldn't have to spend much time thinking about whom to model it on. His two idols, Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt. They had already created the template. Now Lyndon Baines Johnson just had to fill in the blanks. And after Kennedy's assassination, LBJ finally had the chance to live up to the legacy of his second daddy and make the spirit of Roosevelt proud. He had, quote, a specific objective in mind that guided his presidency from the start, end quote, one report noted, to outdo Franklin Roosevelt as the champion of everyday Americans. He would be the next generation's FDR. He would be what he called their daddy, whether they liked it or not. What Wilson had done to organize progressivism as a political force in the first place and what FDR had done to build new progressive economic institutions during the crisis of the Great Depression and World War II, LBJ would now do by spreading progressivism into the mainstream at a time of similar tumult and disorder. And in doing so, he would set in motion the destructive forces of nihilism, hedonism, and blasphemy that marked the 1960s, a decade that would change America fundamentally forever. Johnson's presidency is primarily remembered for two things, both of them massive failures, the Vietnam War and the Great Society. Both exacted a horrific human toll on America. The war scarred an entire generation, and its consequences can be measured in lives lost or irreparably destroyed. The Great Society, however, left its mark on several generations, pushed America farther toward progressivism, and can only be measured in the lives that were ruined. The Great Society asked not how much, but how good. If how good was the question, the answer was not very. For progressives like Johnson, issues such as poverty, education, women's rights, and jobs are simply tools to be used in a continual effort to consolidate power and control. To understand how this works, we have to get into a bit of psychology. By stoking the fear of failure, disorder, and the unknown, progressives manipulate our most primal instincts. They hold out the collective or the herd as a solution to those fears and the way to alleviate our insecurities. Let's face it, solving our own problems is hard. Self-reliance takes work, pain, sacrifice, and oftentimes failure. Putting your trust in someone else to solve your problems is a whole lot easier. Scared of being poor? Don't be. 
Poverty can be solved. We just have to declare a war on it. Scared your kid isn't doing well in school? Well, it's probably not his or her fault. We just need to put more taxpayer money into the public education system. Scared about losing your job? Plenty more can be created if the rich would just pay their fair share. Women can achieve equality if only we provide them with government-subsidized contraceptives and health care. The environment can be saved if we would only enact sweeping regulations and new taxes that punish polluters. And the story goes on and on and on. Every problem has a big government solution. And these were cornerstones of the great society. LBJ's ultimate promise of hope and happiness to a fearful American public. Like Wilson and Roosevelt before him, Johnson had no qualms about sacrificing the rights and personal liberty of individuals at the altar of the state. The Great Society, much like Wilson's New Freedom and Roosevelt's New Deal, was meant to further transform American society and government from individualism to collectivism. I propose that we begin a program in education to ensure every American child the fullest development of his mind and skills. I propose that we begin a massive attack on crippling and killing diseases. I propose that we launch a national effort to make the American city a better and a more stimulating place to live. Who could forget the stimulating city clause in the Constitution? The list of LBJ's great society proposals went on and on. In addition to fear-mongering, progressives also tend to be elitists and narcissists. LBJ had both of these traits in abundance. It takes an enormous amount of arrogance to believe that you and other chosen progressives know what is best for everyone else. Johnson was the epitome of this theory, both in terms of personal and political contradictions at his core and in the resources, ability, and unique moral force that he could deploy in its service in the wake of the JFK assassination. After enduring Woodrow Wilson, FDR, and LBJ, the nation had been very much transformed from its founding principles. Yet, there was still a lot more to come. More on that in the next episode. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com.